Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We've been talking about the power of the church, and we know this, discovered this, that the power is found in the purpose. Amen? Until I discover the purpose, I cannot walk in the power. And so the purpose, when we do not know or discover or understand the, the purpose for something, then we compromise the power of it. We compromise what it was called to do, what it was created to do, what it was designed to do. God does everything by purpose. Uh, the alternative would be that God does anything by accident. And we know that that's not possible. We know that that's not accurate. We know that God, when he operates, when he speaks, when he coordinates, when he designs, when he creates something, there's always purpose behind it. And in Matthew chapter 16, uh, kind of been our foundation verse throughout this uh, series, throughout what we've been looking at. In Matthew chapter 16, I want to read this to you in the, in the Passion Translation again. I give you the name Peter. You know, there's a lot that's in a name. There's power in a name, right? There's, there's purpose in a name. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. Remember, the first point that we've looked at is that Jesus has the purpose and the intent for the church. If he's building the church, he's taking personal responsibility and oversight of its development, over its purpose, over its manufacturing. Uh, you and I are assisting with building the church, but ultimately we have to refer back to the manufacturer of the church. You and I do not have the right to create or build a church outside of the design, the design that God intended. He said, I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Immediately at its uh, creation, at the institution of the church, was a design that it would overpower even the gates of hell. That the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. That's the authority and power you and I, as the body of Christ, ought to be operating in, especially in these last days. I know it's easy to get our eyes on the destructive natures, the, 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 the patterns of the world, sin running rampant, uh, you know, immorality at, at all-time highs. I know that it can be easy to be moved by those things, but I'm just telling you, Jesus did not design his church to be moved by those things. Jesus designed his church to move those things. You know, you have the awesome privilege of living in the midst of crisis. Y'all didn't get that, but I can say it again. You have the awesome privilege of living in the midst of crisis. God saw fit in the midst of all that's going on that he said, I need that person in place at that time in that location in the midst of that sphere of influence. And that's the person I'm calling and no one else. We don't need Moses today. We don't need uh, Joshua today. We don't need David today. We don't need Jesus today. We need Jesus in the form of his body, you and I, in the earth today. And he's called on the best of the best at the time when he needed you the most. So just be glad that God assigned you, that he put you in the earth for such a time as this, and you've got a purpose and a mission to accomplish. Amen. It's a privilege to live in these days. Quit acting like, well, which, where's the 12 disciples at? Where's the apostles at? Where's, where's King David? Oh, if we just had another King David with his sling and, and just could take down the... You are the King Davids of this generation. You are the Joshuas of this generation. You are the Pauls of this generation. So let's rise up to what he's called us to be. Amen. We are the church of the living God. And he says this in verse 19. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm. To forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven. And to release on earth that which is released in heaven. For the most part, I don't know that 
the, the church today has exemplified these two verses, has stood by these two verses, has owned the capacity of what these two verses mean. And I'm, I'm doing my best, trying my hardest as your pastor to help illuminate you to what the church was truly called to do in these last days. But we've gotten caught up in, in, in a lot of, uh, of different things that have taken us off course Some just veering off in the smallest degrees. But if you know over time, if you you have a charted course and you veer off by one degree, before long, you're going to be so far down the wrong path, it's going to take so much to get back. In other ways, some uh, in the church have taken hard slants, directly opposing and directly in the opposite direction of what these two verses mean what these two verses mean. And so over the last several weeks, we have tried to, uh, you know, dive into these two verses and then truly understand the purpose and the power of the church. Today, I want to bring to you a church in contrast. A church in contrast. That'd be the title of my message. So for all my type A people, I've given you a title before instead of after today. Um, usually I don't come up with a title until after, but this one was pretty clear. Um, a church in contrast. Now, I want to give this, dis- this disclaimer before um, I-, I get into the- I'm going to give you four uh, contrasts today. Four contrasts that the church um, is revealing or that the church is walking in. And-, and-, and contrast is for the purpose of distinction. Uh, contrast is for the purpose of distinguishing something against something else, setting it apart. How many of you know the church is called to be set apart in these last days? Amen? Um, But I got to give a couple disclaimers to this contrast because uh, here's here's what can happen, and this is not my intent at all. And if if you've ever heard me preach for any amount of time, um, I never call out or attack any person or ministry specifically. Number one, I don't call out people I don't know or I do not have some form of knowledge or, or relationship with. You know, a lot of times uh, churches that get prideful and churches that start to attack or call out specific individuals in ministry, regardless of what you think about them and regardless of what you think about what they preach and it's heresy or it goes against the word or whatever, um, you know, a lot of times they will reference when Paul called out individuals in the Bible. And he did, by name. Uh, Individuals that were directly opposing the word or directly in opposition, they were going behind Paul and Paul would preach in a a town and in a message and then some of these individuals would come in and they would try to, to discredit everything that Paul was saying and literally attacking his ministry. But this is the thing, Paul had personal relationship with those individuals. So he had the position to stand on to say, this is what this individual is saying. This is how uh, they have chosen to preach. This is what they've chosen to believe. This is how they've chosen to operate. And I'm just here to show you uh, that, that, that their way is incorrect. Their way is wrong. They're directly attacking me. And he would typically end with, may the mercy of God be upon their lives. But he wasn't in the business of just calling out people that disagreed with him. I mean, if he did that, he, he, there wouldn't be enough books in the Bible. Because eventually he had so many in opposition, so many against him, so many that, that did not agree with or did not believe in what, and they were trying to stop his mission um, so desperately that he ended up with more enemies than friends by the time it was all said and done. So as we go through this, you may try to think of ministries or pastors or maybe previous churches you've attended or been, and I want you to refuse now to assign any of these to, oh, that's that ministry, they're doing that. Because I am going to address some things that are being done today that 
uh, if done with the wrong intents and with the wrong motives, are not going to allow the church to align with its purpose and power. I'm going to address some today. I'm going to address four of them. And these are four that are running rampant in the church today. These are four uh, that are, are, you know, pretty high, you know, up there as far as, as what churches are making a focus of today. And I'm only saying you have to understand that it's, it's not about what they're doing in moderation. But if we allow something in moderation, it can become controlling. It can become the emphasis. It can become the nature or the motive or what drives what we do. And if that's the case, you're going to see today that you're not going to end up with the same results that Jesus ends up with. You're not going to end up with Matthew 16, 18, and 19. It's impossible to have those results with the emphasis on the inferior, with the emphasis on anything other than what Jesus designed his church to be. Um, and, you know, just to be honest, you know, there, there, there's way too much fighting, infighting within the Christian community. I don't need to add to that. And we don't either. We don't need churches and church members and believers that just continually attack others. And some of these that I'm going to mention, you're, you're going to assign to mega churches. But you know what we've done? Uh, in, in the church community is we've gotten to a point that we attack anything that grows. Because it heightens our inferiority and it creates intimidation. And it only reveals the insecurity of the one doing the attacking. The other person doesn't look bad when you attack them, you do. Just going to make that clear. I'm going to tell you right now, there are churches in this country that are growing and growing at exponential rates, and they're doing the will of God. And so for us to merely assign, well, if you're growing or if you have that large of a church, then you must, not, you must have compromised. We assign, we, we, we equalize growth with compromise. Oh, they must have watered down somewhere. No, that's not true. 3,000 people came into the church on Acts chapter 2, and they didn't water down nothing. They looked like a bunch of drunkards running around, didn't know what they were saying. What They, they were mocked and made fun of, and 3,000 people still came into the church that day. So we got to be careful with these things that, oh, if they're growing, they must be doing something to compromise the word. No, that's not true. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe we're getting ready to walk into, into days where the Holy Spirit's going to be more attractive than he's ever been. And people are going to be drawn and people are going to want to come and people are going to want the seat that you're sitting in and people are going to want to come and hear and be a part of if, if, if for the for the simple fact that we hear things are happening at Anchor Faith Church, we just got to come see what it's all about. That's fine. Eventually, you'll have to buy in to, to, to a greater degree. But, man, if it, if it just draws you in, I remember what Brother Hagin used to say that healing signs and wonders are the dinner bell for salvation. If that's what draws people in to say, I need more of that, then so be it. And if they come in and they mock and make fun of, fine. I'm not, I'm not changing course. <laughs> I'm too far into this thing. You can't convince me healing's not real because I've been healed. You can't convince me tongues and interpretation is not real because I've been doing it for too long. You're too late. Hello. Okay, so I'm just saying that that we we, we, we do this thing with with. With, with, with growth that, okay, we automatically want to assign these churches that, and, and a lot of them have. A lot of them have compromised. A lot of them have cut corners. A lot of them have taken shortcuts. A lot of them did literally a, a, assign things and did things with the purpose of getting people in. Okay? But not everybody. Not everybody. Number one. Church in contrast. Number one, contrast. Audience or army? I actually heard this one this past week, and it worked perfect with my message and where I was going, so I said, I've got to use it. Are we growing an audience, or are we raising an army? Are we growing an audience, or are we raising an army? Sometimes I think as a church, 
we forget that we're in a fight. And when, when, when I heard this individual make this point in just a short little clip that I saw, it, it caused me to ask a question. Can I go to battle with my church? Can I go to battle with my church? I think Jesus is looking for a church that he can go to battle with. And this is where I get that from. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Sounds like a fight on the hands to me. Right at its institution, right at its birth, the very first time Jesus mentions the word church, which is the word ecclesia, the first time he mentions it, he says, this will overcome and overpower the gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. That sounds like a battle to me. And in the midst of all that's going on, do we have a church that's going to lay down or do we have a church that's going to fight back and push back and push against? You know, it says the gates of hell will not prevail. I know that a lot of times uh, we have created an imagery of the church that's constantly on the, de on the defensive, trying to keep the devil out. Right? How many of y'all grew up with the devil's trying to get you, devil's running hard after you, and, and if you just lock yourself tight inside the four walls of the church, he can't reach you? No, I'm, I'm here to tell you today, the church is not on the defensive. The church is on the offensive. And I'd much rather be playing offense than defense right now. I'd much rather be going after him than running from him. Hello? If you will submit to God, the devil will what? He'll flee from you from you he's the one on the run not us he's the one trying to re restrain and restrict not us we're on the offensive we're the ones pushing back on darkness we're the ones going back into territories and taking it back for the kingdom of god we are taking back schools for the kingdom of god we are taking back our ball fields for the kingdom of god we are taking back our government for the kingdom of god we are taking back our territories for the kingdom of god we're not trying to keep it from the devil. We're going back and getting back what was lost. Yeah, have you ever noticed, uh, you, you, maybe you haven't, Jesus, when he said that, that, that passage, when he, when he said uh, he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Have you ever stopped to, to wonder why he didn't say he came to seek and save those which was lost. He didn't come to save who was lost. He came to save what was lost. Now, I know it's going to mess up our religious thinking because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? But I want to tell you something. God's actually more interested in something more than he's interested in you. That which was lost was not a person. It was a kingdom. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. That doesn't mean he's not trying to get you back. But he's trying to get you back for the purpose of getting his kingdom back. You've got to follow the line. You've got to follow the thread all the way back to the beginning. Don't stop at the part that you like. Get all the way back to the beginning. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, we lost the kingdom, not people. We lost the kingdom, not heaven. He came to seek and save that which was lost, the kingdom of God. So you and I are now uh, enrolled and deployed and assigned to the privilege of getting the kingdom of God back into the earth once again. That's why you and I exist, is to see his kingdom rule, to see his kingdom reign, to see his purposes, to see his intents, to see his will. And where, where his will is found, people are redeemed. Because he's trying to get his kingdom back, we go after people, not the other way around. It's his kingdom.
It's his kingdom. And so we need, we need an army that's going to rise to the level of pushing back darkness in these last days. You ought to ask the same question that I've asked myself. Am I someone that I would, that someone else would want to go to battle with? That's, that's serious to me. That's serious to me. See, you're, you're not going to get army results with audience buy-in. And what's happened is it, it, in, into the church now has crept this nature of entertainment. The nature of performance, the nature of going and seeing something and going and performing and going and producing. When God designed the church for something, you go and become a part of. Church was never meant to just be, just operate merely on entertainment. The church has made strides even in the entertainment industry. And it ought to. But it's not the focal point. And especially when we're coming into a church service. I can just give you some examples. I mean, I, I can give you real, real life, real time examples of, of, of individuals, of pastors that told their worship leaders they had a specific set amount of time to perform songs. I, that's right. I said perform songs. And if they went one second over, they're fired. That's a real time example. I'm not making that up. I know pastors that have gone even to the level of hiring professional musical artists that have no anointing. They've got all the talent in the world, but they don't love God. They don't love his people. They don't love his presence. They're not ushering in the glory of God into a room. They're up there to do their part. And many of them were drinking and smoking the night before in the bars where they were hanging out and where they were playing. And immediately when their assignment is over, they leave and go somewhere else. I'm not kidding you. I, I've, I've had personal relationship with individuals that were merely on staff to play an instrument somewhere, contract labor, and they would leave. That's the kind of stuff we're not going to arrive at the results that Jesus said the church ought to arrive at if we're going to play games like that. That's not someone I'm going to battle with. That's not going to work in the kingdom of God. That's not going to work in his church. That's, that, that's the kind of stuff you start fooling around and toying with, and, 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 and then you, you, you've got all these little performance, entertainment-driven parameters in, your church, in our churches, and then we wonder why there's no power. And when we need to go to battle... <laughs> No, I don't think they're ready to go to battle. I don't think that's going to produce the results that Jesus wants. It's time for the church to realize that we're in a fight. You know, I've, I've learned that battles never go well when only one party is aware they're in a fight. It usually doesn't turn out very well. Now, I can tell you something right now. The devil knows he's in a fight. The question is, do we? The devil knows full and well, and he fights hard at it every single day. Just watch the news. We're, we're having to fight battles today. We never thought we'd have to fight. Our kids are having to fight battles today. You and I would have never thought to fight. They're having to face battles today. You and I have lived a lifetime and have never had to fight. They're, we're having to have conversations with our children about stuff we've never had a conversation with each other about as adults. He knows he's in a fight. He knows his time's running short. He knows, and he's doing everything he can while the church is playing games with entertainment and performance. Again, I'm not saying everybody, and I'm not calling out large churches. I'm just talking about when the motive becomes 
making sure I've got the, the most talented, high-class individuals on the stage, and, 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 and that becomes my focal point rather than what, it, what will the presence of God do? Are they even anointed? Do they value people? We're, we're, we're playing games. We're not fighting battles. So, yeah, there's, there's times, you know, if you've been in our church long enough, you know, you've probably been challenged here and there. There's probably been real talk sometimes. It's probably been some, some, some stuff that, 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 that might not feel good in the moment. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But it's because we're raising up an army. I'm not trying to grow an audience. When, when, when you minister different when you're, when you're raising up an army. Just go to boot camp. The expectations for someone that's joining the army is very different. It's very different than anything that society will show you. They don't care about your preferences. They don't care about what your beliefs are. They don't care, uh, you know, about how you handle authority or how you submit to authority. They, they, they are looking for response time, Right? Because it's, uh, one, one millisecond can completely change the situation. It's much different. Jesus wasn't interested in growing audiences either. He did at times. But you'll find in Luke chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 42, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 42, when it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. And they came to him and they tried to keep him from leaving them. Now that, that's just about any pastor's dream. Don't leave. Don't stop. Don't, don't go. Sometimes you guys will do that to me like on a Wednesday night. You, you know, I'm running out of time. Y'all be like, keep on going, pastor. Well, I, I can't keep on going. Because there are one to five-year-olds back in a room back there about ready to hang up some of your children's team back there. I'd love to keep on going. And I've been in instances, man, where the pool was so good. I mean, the longest I've ever ministered was three hours. And it was not in America. It couldn't have been in America. We can't handle that. We can sit in a movie for three hours, but we can't handle preaching for three hours. Y'all will hold it in your bladder to see the end of that movie, but you can't make it through worship without going back to the bathroom. <laughs> come on now. The last thing I do before I walk that door and come out here, I go to the bathroom. It's a horrible place to be up here having to go to the bathroom, and then I'm having to speed through my message because i got to go to the bathroom. I can't go to the bathroom while I'm delivering. You shouldn't have to go to the bathroom while you're hearing it. It should be that good. Now, I understand a lot of pastors aren't good enough to sit through. I get it. I hope that my messages are so good. It's like, I can't miss any of this. I'm just going to have to hold this, wear a diaper next week. I'll do something. I, I got to, I cannot get up out of this seat right now. Amen. But it's different when you're trying to gather crowds. You know, it was funny about these crowds with Jesus. They would be captivated and offended at the same time. You don't get very far with an entertainment-driven, performance-driven ministry. It, it won't work. You'll all, whatever you did last week, you'll have to outdo it the next. You know this? You know this? If you've raised kids, you know this. Right? I mean, Camden hates stuff today that he had for lunch last Thursday. What happened in three days? You, you love that. No, I hate that. What? I just went to Sam's and bought a whole pack of it because you loved it so much. Now, I mean, isn't this the way we are? And so I feed you something and you were chewing on it last time and now you're spitting it back out. Right, this is, Jesus knew. I, I won't get very far in my ministry trying to keep the crowd. And so when, you know, people wanted to come follow him, man, I mean, he, he had, 
there was, there was a test there. There's a litmus test there. There's a, can you make it? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but son of man has no, are, are you ready for battle? Or are you just ready for a show? Y'all here, y'all with me? So the first contrast in, in church, in the, in the church in the last days, are we just busy growing audiences? Trying to attract the next person? Trying to keep this person? That is a circus. But man, if we'll just, I'm telling you, people would be more attracted to, to army level buy-in than we think they would. People are looking for something with a serious cause. People are looking for something to say, I need something with purpose. I need something that's going to give me hope. I need something that when I go back into work tomorrow morning, it's not the same old, same old. People are looking for that. And, and so we're, 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 we're spoon feeding baby food to people when they're ready to start gnawing on the meat of the word. Just by show of hands, I, I, don't, I don't need anything more than that. Just by show of hands, how many of you at some point in your life, whether it be the previous church or some church you've ever been in, you were sitting there saying this statement. You literally made this statement either in your mind or with your mouth. There's got to be more. Anybody. Look at that. It's army level buy-in. That's what you're looking for. You're, you're not looking for the, the watered down, compromise, barely, barely scrape the edge of truth, throw it in there every now. You're looking for something more real than what you're living right now. We're all looking for more. We're all looking for more. Hallelujah. And I know the church can fight. Because I watch the church beat up on itself all the time. We laugh, but it's the truth. It's true. I know we can fight. We just need to redirect. Look, we're never going to win a battle against the enemy playing on his battlefield. You're never, you, you don't stand a chance. But if we would redirect the tension and redirect our efforts and redirect back on him, it's not me against you. It's us against him. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm not ministering this today so we can go out and pick and, 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 and distinguish. I'm showing you what a church set apart looks like. There will be a remnant. There will be a remnant in the last days. But saying that, making that statement has become a, a prideful statement for some. I'm part of the remnant. You, your heart should be longing for those that are not. That should be your heart. I remember there was one time uh, Jesus' disciples came back from ministering. Uh, or, 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 no, that was a different scenario. Uh, Jesus' um, disciples were ready to call down fire on somebody that opposed Jesus' ministry. And what did he say? You don't know the spirit that you are of. He says, that's, that's not even a part of my nature. Sometimes you just, you, you bless them and you move on. It's like Brother Hagin used to say, bless their darling hearts and their stupid heads. Some people don't want to get it. That's okay. We drive on and we keep doing what we're called to do. But we're, we're not going to manipulate and compromise for the sake of gathering a crowd. We are raising an army. We are building an army that's going to push back on the gates of hell in these last days. Number two. Programs or power? Programs or power? Busyness is artificial significance. Busyness is counterfeit purpose. And I'll tell you what, if the devil can't keep you out of church, he'll just keep you so busy with it that you'll hate it. And what was designed to be a blessing will become a burden. And one thing the church has become really good at in these last days, especially in America, is programs. You know, the church is the answer for the world. But sometimes I think that we forget 
what we supply and what we bring to the earth, that we keep creating methods and programs to be more answer, more answer. And eventually we find ourselves outside of our giftings and our callings. I think the churches in America need to find their niche and just stay in the lane. There's no one church that's going to do it all. And you have to be okay with that. Just like there's no one individual that's going to do it all. And going back to the the infighting again is what we do is we point fingers and we either desire someone else's gift or we lessen the emphasis and the power of their gift because it's not our gift. But if everyone would learn what they are called to do, we've got people in here who are called to the business sector. We have people in here who are called to the educational sector. We have people in here that are called uh, to, to the family sector. We have people in here that are called to the arts and entertainment sector, to the government sector. And so what we, what we try to do is we try to be in every lane at every time. We've got too many irons in the fire, and so we're, we're doing all these things at 10% rather than doing a few of them at 100. And it's just the tactic of the enemy to keep you so busy that you can't be a blessing. And so busy you become burnt out. I mean, I've heard that term. As long as I've been in ministry, I've heard the term burn. I'm, I'm, I'm so burnt out on hearing about burnt, burnt out. I'm burned out on being burned out. <laughs> I hear people talk about being burned out, and all of a sudden I feel burned. Well, maybe I'm burned out. I, would, I didn't feel burned out before I listened to this, but now after listening to you, I feel wore out just listening to you talk about being wore out. And part of it goes back to we've just created too much, too many irons in the fire, trying to do way too much, spread way too thin. Now, I'm not telling you to be lazy. I'm not telling you to sit back and just do. God has gifts and callings in your life that will keep you busy. But what I'm saying is we don't need to try to go find things to be busy with or try to be every. You can't say yes to everything. You can't be the answer to everybody's problem. And sometimes, you know what, you just say, you know what? Rather than us providing that, I know someone that does a really good job at that. I mean, I've had, you know, people ask us about, you know, feeding the homeless or a, 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 a shelter or, a, you know, pantries, you know, food pantry. All. We don't do those things. As of today, we don't. That doesn't mean we won't ever. And I've had opportunities to say yes to stuff. I've had opportunities to do things. But I also know of great resources right here in our community with kingdom-minded people leading them that I can point to you and we support them and resource them and financially serve them. I had someone just a couple weeks ago say, we're looking for help in this area. And I said, we don't offer that, but there is a ministry that we support and we we financially support them and they would be able to, to bless you and be a blessing to you. And I, I don't have an insecurity issue. I don't have a problem to, to where, I, oh, man, we let them down. We're not being the hands and feet of Jesus. We're not. No, we are being the hands and feet of Jesus. I remember when I first came to this community, sometimes, uh, you know, you get in these pastor circles, these network circles, and it just has this resonance from parachurch ministries. You know what parachurch ministries are? Parachurch, they're not churches, but they, they, they support and they come alongside the church. But, you know, sometimes there's just this tone that resounds of we're having to do what the church won't do. We're we're, we're having to make up for what the church isn't providing. Give me a break. You pastor a church then for, I give you one week back here. Follow me around for, for five days this week. And, the, and people want the church to be a social service. They, people want the church to meet more natural need than spiritual need. I can give you a sandwich, but if I don't give you the word of God in your spirit, what are we really doing? 
And I'm not saying we won't do those things. And I'm not saying that we don't need to do it. Jesus made it very clear that we can help the poor, that we can help those impoverished, we can help those in need, we can, that the body of Christ comes together. I mean, honestly, every need that you need met ought to be found right here in this room. When the church was first born, you know what one of the first things they were doing was? Selling stuff and sharing it with the body and anyone that had need. They would bring it to the elders. And then the elders or the leaders of the church would distribute as people needed them. Most people don't even trust their pastors and leaders enough to distribute their goods. They have to go and do it themselves. Or Jesus really isn't Lord. Jesus is not Lord of, uh, of your $10,000 if you're telling the pastor how to spend your $10,000. Let me just make that clear. No, we don't need more programs. We need more power. I think sometimes we create programs to compensate for the lack of power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, we'll read this in the Passion Translation. The message I preached and how I preached it was not an attempt to sway you with persuasive arguments, but to prove to you the almighty power of God's holy Spirit. For God intended that your faith not be established on man's wisdom, but by trusting in his almighty power. Many times we put on the church to create a new program because we are relying on the church, not on God. It's, I'm telling you right now, we, didn't, we have not gotten where we are today by saying yes to every need that has come along in this church, and we will not create an environment that does that. We're going to rely on the power of God. And I believe if we would truly rely on the power of God, we would find we need less programs, less manufacturing, less this and that and that. I mean, you know, I, I remember, you know, uh, you know, people would ask early on about outreach, we did, you know, periodic outreach events here and there, but I guess they came from churches that had outreach ministries and outreach programs that were consistently, constantly. And I found that people were only motivated by what was on a church calendar. If it was truly in your heart, you wouldn't need a pastor or a church calendar to tell you to go and feed the homeless. You would go and feed the homeless. Y'all with me? Some of you. But I'm being serious. We're just looking for things to keep us busy. But do we really have a heart for that? You have a heart to go into nursing room, nursing homes? You have a heart to go into the jails? In our, in our county, in our community? You have a heart to reach the homeless? You have a heart to, to, to create this ministry? And I had a pastor a few years ago tell me very wise wisdom when, when somebody comes to you with an idea for a ministry. He said, you respond and tell them. Ask them. Will you fund it and will you lead it? And you'll find out real quick if it's really on their heart or not. Because most people come to the pastor expecting him to fund it and expecting him to lead it. They come to the pastor with the ideas and they drop it on his plate and now the pastor has one more thing and you were the 10th one that came by that week and asked him to do something that was on their heart. There are things we have on our heart. There are things we have yet to create. There are things we have yet to get involved with and we will. But if it's really on your heart, then it will be demonstrated by your actions and it will already be being produced in your life without somebody giving you a green light, giving you a calendar on event or making it an orchestrated function. You'll be out doing it already in some shape, some way, shape or form. You want to start a Bible study? Are you are you going to Bible studies? Are you doing that? You want to start a prayer group? Are you praying? Are you gathering people that you know in the church, our prayer warriors, and saying, hey, I, I just want to create this, I don't know. And I'm not telling you to go rogue and create your own thing. That's completely different. But sometimes we think we can only do things as long as it's on a church website calendar or the pastor 
backs it up from, from the stage. There are people in this church doing kingdom work day in and day out. And I, they haven't come to me for any sort of consent or they, they haven't, you know, they haven't allowed my lack of buy-in to restrict them or restrain them from doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it day in and day out. They're doing it. Amen. In the Amplified, it reads this way in this passage. In verse 4, And my language and my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words of wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power, a proof by the Spirit and power of God operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions and thus persuading them so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, human philosophy, but in the power of God. It's time to get back to the power. It's time to get back. I've told you, we're just not a a two-service church as far as the Lord has revealed to me. If we get in a, in a building project, uh, I'm meeting with uh, architects this week. If, if, if we get into a position where I know until completion date we need to do something uh, as far as the crowds are concerned, then we'll do that. But the Lord has not told me. Some churches are not two service churches. So don't come in here from a church that you previously attended. Well, they did two, three service. They were doing something different than what we're called to do. Period. And I'm not looking at, oh, man, I wish we could pack more people in. I wish we could. Do. I, I, I don't have that drive. I'm sorry. That's not, I'm not that pastor. And we are not that church. Amen. Okay. And if you want to know if that two-service model really worked, go ask the children's ministry. I'm serious. Go ask the ones that are back with the kids and Cheez-Its and the and the, and the diapers for four hours on a Sunday morning or longer. Amen. Okay, let's keep going. If you don't like it, you can just repent. It's okay. <laughs> Number three. Preference or purpose. The contrast, preference or purpose. I'm not going to camp here very long. We we minister on this a lot. But when a church is more interested in itself, in pleasing itself, it cannot be a church that pleases God. If we're consumed by ourselves, we cannot be consumed by Him. And many times we will find, because we are individuals and we are individualistic, that our our preferences will become the overarching motive or the overarching mission in what we do. And so then, in response, we push back, we reject anything that doesn't align with what I want or what I think. We've talked about the American church. We've talked about the Americanized church. We've talked about the Americanized gospel. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people in our country that are hating the fact that there are people that don't like America and want to change it rather than just leave it. But there are people that are doing the same thing in the kingdom of God. And I'll remind you, it's a kingdom. It's not a democracy. God isn't asking for your opinion. Never has, never will. God isn't asking for our input. He's never asked for our buy-in on the level of what do you think about this or what do you think about that. There is no voting in a kingdom. I know that might sound harsh, but it's actually the best way to live. It's really much better than having a vote. It's much better than having to determine between this or that. He made the decision for you. Today, I put before you life or death, and then he gives you the answer. Choose life. That's way easier than multiple choice. That's way easier. True, I used to hate true and false worse than I hated multiple choice. I like the A, B, and C, but the true and false, like, man, this is a 50-50 chance, man. No, he's given us the privilege of fully submitting to him. He's given us the privilege of being fully consumed by his purpose for our lives. 
And I don't have to be concerned with, well, is that how I would want to do it? And God will give you the desires of your heart. But sometimes I think we read that verse wrong. We make the thing the object. But in the passage it reads, he will give you the desires. He will give you the desires. The desires are the object. He will give you what to desire. He'll give you what to long for. He'll put on your heart something that, that, that gets you going, that, 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 that makes you just, just get passionate about his kingdom. He'll give you the desire. Even the desires you have are from him. Even the passions you have are from him. Even the preferences you think you have are from him. He created those. He's given you those. And so we need to align those with his purpose. In Romans chapter 14, in Romans chapter 14, in the Amplified, it reads this way After all, the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting the food and drink one likes, but instead, it is righteousness, that state which makes a person acceptable to God. And heart, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. You know what I have found is the Holy Spirit is never natural to me. And I think that we're just going to have to be a church, especially in these last days, where we just become comfortable with the unusual. Comfortable with the unfamiliar. Comfortable with what does not make natural sense. Comfortable with what goes fully against what I would do or how I would respond or how I would do this. In the Passion Translation, it reads this way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink. That's called religion. Religion is usually the result of my personal preferences. You've heard me say this before. I don't think we should call them denominations anymore. Let's just call them what they are, preferences. There's a denomination for every preference of how you would like to receive the gospel or believe in the gospel. We've got one book that has over 380,000 different interpretations within Christian circles alone. You think we have a preference problem? You think that that was God's design and God's order that, that we would have that many different interpretations of one book? I don't think so. I think he expected his word to be believed at his word. And over time, we trim off and we cut down and we add to and we water and we compromise and we neglect and we abandon little things that over time don't align with our preferences. And we create and we've even put a fancy word on it called denominations so that people would buy into it. So that people would think we're spiritual when we're really not. Come on. I know I'm getting down into the stuff today. I mean, that, that's just the nature of the message. You had, the, you had the, the reprieve last week for Resurrection Sunday. I'm back on today. I'm, I'm back in the pulpit with all I got today. Because this is what we need. I'm tired of seeing a weak church. I'm tired of seeing a powerless church, an impotent church. I'm tired of seeing a church walk away from the battles they should be running towards. I'm tired of seeing a church backing down when it should be standing up. I'm tired of seeing a church bent over when we should have our chest back, chest out, spine up. Get a backbone about what God is doing in the earth today. We're not creating religious practice. We're not going through formality. We're not trying to uh, 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 assign ourselves to every little preference that comes along. Either get about the, about the business of the kingdom of God or we're not, not about it at all. It's what we need. We got work to do. Got work to do. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink. It is the realm of the Holy Spirit. 
filled with righteousness, peace, and joy, serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities, pleases God and earns the respect of others. You don't get the realities of the kingdom without the Holy Spirit. We don't get what the kingdom has called us to do without submitting to and serving the Holy Spirit. We say this around here. We don't build a church for people. We built the church for God. You get to come. You get to come and be a part. Amen. Last point, number four. Contrast of the church. Soul or spirit? Soul or spirit. This one's a little tougher to break down because the two have been so confused. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us that the word is living and effective sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, of the heart. The word of God is given to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We have created an environment in which our churches and more specifically its leaders, its pastors in the pulpit have found themselves ministering to the soul of man more than the spirit of man. Now, the soul needs ministering too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us, and may the God of peace himself Sanctify you through and through, separate you from profane things, make you pure and holy, consecrated to God, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, sound and complete and found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God wants you whole in all arenas of your life. We are here to minister to you spirit, soul, and body, every area. There are those that have now reduced preaching to therapy. They've reduced preaching to a mere lecture on the soul realm, your mind, your will, and your emotions. If you're familiar with the term, a lot of them just give real refined TED Talks. But they're not preaching the word of God. They're ministering to the soul. They're they're, uh, uh, reaching people on a psychological level only. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm saying that there should be more. And I'm also saying that the emphasis should always be on the spirit of man. And you'll find that you'll get a lot of uh, issues addressed in life if you'll address them from the spirit man first and then allow the spirit... I'm telling you right now, there are churches that they listen to statistics more than they listen to the Spirit. They let the statistics do the leading. They let the numbers do the talking. I mean, I remember, you know, for for a while there, you know, it seemed like everybody was... uh, reducing the amount of services that they were doing. So we were in a position when we first started the church, we're like, you know, we should be doing more, not less. And so I'll be talking to the pastors, you know, one of them was the midweek service on Wednesday nights. We're not doing midweeks anymore. And I'm sure they had some kind of alternative in there for that. And so people would, you know, anytime I told someone that we had a midweek service, I'd always get looked at sideways, always. I mean, I was like, are we the only ones? (laughs) Only ones anywhere doing 
a Wednesday night service. And again, I'm not telling you what they should be doing. I'm telling you what God has told us to do. And I'm telling you that many of them made the decision because somebody else. Most of them were looking for a way out of doing more services. And so when they saw somebody else doing it, that became their scapegoat that would justify them doing less services. I remember one person cited to me a church in a metropolitan area that had chosen not to do midweek services because the traffic had become so congested in the area, people could not travel home from work and then to church, and they could not make it on a midweek, so they shut down the midweek and they were doing something different. And this was somebody in our community. And I said, I promise you, we do not have the problem they have. That's a town of 5 million people. This is a town of 50,000 people. It's much different. But again, we're not being led by the Spirit. We're being led by statistics. And the preaching that has been coming forth from, from some, I mean, there's people that I used to listen to that I no longer listen to because there's no meat. You're not ministering. You're, you're, you're relating to them. You're giving that. Look, when you minister to the soul alone, you will produce feel-good messages. And feel-good messages fill seats, but they don't fill people. I'm just telling you the truth. Again, I'll give you the disclaimer again. I'm not calling out anybody. I'm not telling you who to listen to and who not to listen to. You can, re- you can deduce that yourself based upon what the Word says. But we are going to be a church that ministers to the Spirit of man. And guess what? When I minister to the Spirit, it will almost with certainty challenge your soul. And so they've chosen to minister to the soul because it feels sympathetic and compassionate and relatable. And I've been through this and I went there and, and I'm just like you. I'm in. Per- I listened to someone the other day uh, ramble on about how they're an imperfect person. They're just a sinner. They're just as sorry as everybody else. And if it weren't for the love of God, I'm like, ah, oh, I couldn't even. I mean, I wanted to throw my phone down. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know that it pushes on your spirit. I know that last night you didn't live like the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but that's who you are. I have to minister to your spirit, not to your mind and not to your will and not to your emotions. Your soul is an amazing servant, but it is a terrible master. And there's too many soul-driven, soul-led Christians out there that have forgotten what the Bible says about who they are in Christ. Forgotten that they're more than a conqueror. Forgotten that they're an overcomer. Forgotten that they are the head and not the tail and above and not beneath because your soul will lie to you. Your soul will tell you you're beneath. Your soul will tell you you can't make it. Your soul will tell you you've gone too far. Your soul will tell you it's too big. Your soul will get in the way. You need your spirit to shut your soul up sometimes. And say, no mind, no will, no emotions. You will do what my spirit says to do. You will follow the spirit of God, not the numbers, not the statistics, not how you feel, not what you want, not what you think. We need some Christians that can shut down the mind and tell the mind what to do. Tell the emotions what to do. Tell the will what to do. Worship team, go ahead and come. On 12 o'clock on the dot. Some of y'all were like, he ain't finishing this at 12. Boom. Finished it. Drop the mic. We need a church that resembles heaven. I'm here for the earth. I'm here for the planet. I'm here for everything we're called to do. But I won't get there appeasing, appeasing becoming like. It's time for reality. The counterfeit, the alternatives, people are done with it. They want a church in power. They want a church that's going to produce works even greater than what Jesus did. It burdened my heart so much because I saw Someone post this past week about divine healing and why divine healing is for you. Biblical healing. Gave five reasons 
why you can be healed today. Why divine health is for you today. And I went into the comments, just, I like to look at comments. Comments is where you go to get robbed of all joy. Comment section is where you go to just have a downer for the day. But I thought on this one, man, I'm going to, I just want to see the support. Man, biblical, I thought I would see people, man, I've been believing God for this. Thank you for this word. There were more in there in opposition. I'm thinking, where have we gone wrong? Do you know how much of the Bible you have to throw out to believe that God is trying to put sickness on you? I mean, you might, not, you might as well not believe another thing he says if you can't believe that God wants you healed. Well, I haven't recently. I mean, so many people, then tell me why I'm still sick. Tell me, you want an explanation. You don't want a healing. You want understanding. You don't want to live by faith. We just want answers to everything. Everybody wants answers. Telling me you can believe that some little molecules roaming around this place, shutting things down like crazy for the last two years, but you can't believe there's a God in heaven that knew that that was there and has has something in place to, to heal you and deliver you? You're using faith. You're just using it in opposition of the word rather than for it. It's amazing the things people do believe in. And they'll completely alter their lifestyles for it. But then I get up here and say, by his stripes you were healed. It wasn't an option. He commanded you. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You realize you have to throw that verse out to believe that God isn't healing today. That the works that he did, you will do. And even greater works. You gotta throw that out. It's because the church has got to rise to who it is, to who she is. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.